welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I am joined here yet again, as always. He's got no place to go. My COO, Dale Dempsey. What's up, Dale? Hola. <laughs> Buenos dias. <laughs> oh, very interesting. I'm having That's a great good. day. I'm learning, I'm learning some other languages. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to get into that a little yeah. bit today. So, but anyway, for those of you that are new to the show, welcome. We hope you enjoy the content. We hope it's very relevant to you and you always take away something after listening. So we appreciate your time. And because of that, we try to make these things worthwhile. For those of you that are coming back, we appreciate your loyalty. We appreciate all the great feedback that we get, questions. We actually had some questions about the particular topic today that came up this week since there was some pretty big news. And so we're going to get into that and we're going to see where it goes. But for those of you that are paying attention to the big news in the financial service space, you'll have known that Wells Fargo decided to pull out of their international business. Not the first firm to do that and certainly probably won't be the last, which is why Dale is brushing up on his Spanish. And so, you know, I thought we'd want to just talk a little bit about that and some of the impact that that might have on the business as a whole. And Dale, so I'm really just going to throw it out to you. You've been really probably talking to more <laughs> more advisors in different countries in one week than I've seen in a long time. So, Isn't that true? Wow. Yeah. So what's the feedback? What's the, the, feedback, what's the concern? Yeah. I don't- It's like I'm interviewing you. It's yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, my, my first reaction is the time zones are, are challenging. So if I'm talking to advisors in China, which I am- that can be a challenge. But then if you think about that from the firm's perspective, you have a language barrier, you have a time zone difference, you have different laws. Uh, yeah, I could see why firms would be hesitant to be in this. And then the stakes get higher, right? Because you have anti- risk. Yeah. the risk, right? The anti-money laundering. You dealt with that with one client in particular, didn't you? Yeah, we, yeah so we, that's a good point. So we were talking about Finding a firm where she could open accounts rather quickly and where this goes that I, I don't think a lot of recruiters of firms think about, maybe deliberately or not, is whether or not the client has an international or domestic address. If they don't have a United States address, the game changes completely. Right. Let's say the game. But it's it's a completely different set of rules and what we found is there are very few firms who will let you open an account without a domestic address. What that tells me, sort of going back to what you were saying, is long-term, I really wonder who's actually gonna be in this space. Right. You think about how many firms have global offices who have counsel that, that crosses from continent to continent, and it's actually few and far between. The other component of that, which makes it more challenging for advisors in that space, is it's not like you have the option to go independent, right? You can, theoretically, but the challenge you have there specifically with international clients is brand recognition, some of the safety issues that those clients have, even if you're with a Pershing or something like that, it's a brand recognition thing. 
And the field is definitely getting smaller with some of the firms that are willing to be in that business. And so it's a weird situation because you can understand why firms are getting out, mm -hmm. right? But then the firms that are staying in and making a deliberate conscious decision to stay in are going to be huge beneficiaries if things are done the right way, right? Like, right. you know, anybody that needs to open an international account quickly, mm, you probably want to pause on that one. You know, <laughs> probably not the account you want to get opened up. Just right. saying, not that I've had experience with that, but- Well, no, that, that, that was one of the questions that came up recently was, okay, so if, if we don't have to have a domestic address, how quickly can we open the account? And it occurred to me within a few minutes, wait a second, either the advisor knows that they're laundering money or is asking questions that the client would ask, not saying I knew anybody was laundering money, but- it just seemed pretty odd that you would want to avoid a social security number. You'd want to avoid a United States address. And, you know, from the custodial standpoint, that's going to be key. Are they taking on this risk? Are they the parent level? Are they really going to take the risk on? I don't think so. I think, well, that I think that's why I think there's a lot of things that I don't, I don't agree with what Wells does, yeah. uh, how they do certain things and how they approach the business. But in this instance, given what they've gone through, given some of the mandates that are put on them by the government and just some of the crap that they've had to deal with, right? I don't want to say that there's no upside to having international business, but from Wells Fargo's point of view, it's the first time in a couple of years where I went, yeah, okay, I can see that. Right. That makes total sense. Right. Not you their know? core competency either. Right. Right? Yeah. We're, look, they're stagecoach. You know, that's their logo. Is It's continental travel. They're not going to do well. It's difficult. Across, yeah, across multiple. And here's the thing, though. There are specific firms that are much smaller that specialize in this. Global family offices, I think we'll see a ton of business coming from this, right? Because a lot of advisors who have international business, a lot of them typically do are very different than the advisors who are here domestically. And it's usually the stakes get raised. They're working with governments, right? And or really yeah, affluent it's a clients. More, look, it's a more sophisticated practice. I think the other thing that goes into this, which is probably one of the reasons why you're seeing this dichotomy of sort of the big firms getting out and maybe some of the smaller firms, not like small, small, but you know, Raymond James does a great job with international business. Oppenheimer does a great job with international business, right? Those smaller firms... And I think one of the reasons why they're still in it is because of their size, right? So when I was at Morgan Smith Barney, one of the things you run into is there are certain countries only allow a certain number of advisors, domestic advisors, to be in the country at any one time, right? Why so is that? That, that it's is just these crazy rules that they are, and every country is different, right? <laughs> so Venezuela is different than Mexico. It's like crazy. Huh. And so when you have a huge sales team, and if let's say you have a big international team, it's harder to keep track of all of that travel, right? And they can only be in the country for so long and then they have to leave the country and then they got to they gotta be out for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And that becomes a challenge for large firms with large advisors, with a large number of advisors. Uh, so That makes a lot of sense. Right. Well, that's like what Morgan, basically what Morgan did years ago, this is not like some new thing, but Morgan did it and they essentially anointed certain advisor teams as one international offices, Right. And then certain teams, international teams. And that means it's so if you were just a, you know, Dale Dempsey financial advisor, right, in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and you came across a client of yours that happened to have several million dollars. So you were a non resident alien, right? But you had an account over in Mexico or whatever. 
you could not work with that client on your own, right? Without having to go through an international office and an international team, right? Mm -hmm. They split the revenue with you because they're taking a lot of the risk sure. and because you're not going to be able to understand the rules and regulations of, well, why can't we just go meet the client? No, you can't go meet the client because you already spent 30 days in the country, right? right? So those kinds of things create real problems. Yeah. So I think that it's just going to be interesting. You've had probably, I mean, you were, well, tell me, you, you've had a couple guys where a bunch of them are just sort of working on, you know, wow. where are we going to go from this? Are we going to create our own firm? Are we going to? I'm running into a lot of advisors being frustrated. So it's not the easiest space to navigate. Throw the language barrier out for a second because that's that's challenging enough. But there's a lot of confusion around, I have international product and I have international clients. I have one or the other or both. And so where the advisors I, I talk to and I'm getting frustrated is the people they're talking to at firms don't understand and really know the difference. They might trade in foreign currency on a foreign exchange and have international clients. That's a totally different scenario than if you just have an international client. Right. You know, the other thing that no one ever talks about is, okay, so you have a nice glossy brochure about some product at the firm. Well, how many languages is that is that brochure translated into? Oh, we don't talk. Yeah, right? you're right. That's what, so, yeah. So there's added costs that go into having international business from a firm's point of view, right? Right. How do you run compliance? You have to have staff that so you were talking to one client where she needed someone that knew how to speak Portuguese and Chinese. Chinese or Mandarin or something. Chinese and English. Right. Right. So trilingual. <laughs> right. Why? Because right, from a compliance standpoint. And a com just a communication so with the client So you have to have a compliance person that knows. So when that advisor writes an, a letter or an email or whatever to one of their clients, you actually have to have a compliance person that understands how to read that information. Yeah. Otherwise Understand it, understanding be the key word there. You right. might speak the language and it's a whole nother ball game right. just to, to understand what they're saying and be compliant. Yeah. And, and it gets expensive too, right? If you have an advisor with who speaks three or four languages and, and there are plenty out there that do, it's a lot of resources on the branch or even at the company level to make sure that you're you're compliant. And then for the advisor, just from a practice management standpoint, it's, it's a lot. So where do we go from here? You know, if you're- That's a good question, actually. <laughs> well, these advisors have, it's really pursuing on depth and accuracy. Right. And I think a lot of the advantages are gonna come from a self-clearing solution just because there's a unified front on how they're going to handle aml streamline the business maybe i don't want it to be that way but i just i think it'll probably consolidate towards that direction and it's probably going to happen a little bit more rapidly from an advisor's point of view what i would say where you go from here is you're either in the business or you're not in the business like don't dabble it's not worth the revenue that you're going to make, the headaches you have to deal with. From a practice management standpoint, you either are an international advisor or you're not. If your firm has a, a team like a Morgan Stanley, for instance, where they have an international focus team, focus office, be happy to just split the business with them because it saves you a lot of headaches. Bring in that relationship, hand it off to a team that knows what they're doing and move on because I think you're going to get bogged down it's sort of like advisors that have athletes as clients. A lot of that's ego driven. Like they want to say they have such and such athlete as a client, but at the end of the day, they're paying the ass. 
They don't want to pay a ton of money. They require a ton of work on your part. We have one client of ours that has a very, very, very famous person. And how many times have we told this person, get rid of them? Get rid of them. Right? Like, right. get rid of them. Well, yeah, um, does... He's not worth the, ha- the hassle. And you barely make any money on the guy. Right? So and I think that's the same kind of thing with international business. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're, you have some clients and you're going and you're pulling your hair out because your firm is pushing back on whatever it is, I would just tell you that pay attention to what the firms are doing. They understand. They see the train that's coming down that track. It can be very difficult. There's a lot of... AML issues, Patriot Act issues. There's all sorts of stuff that you can get caught up in. And there's a lot of wonkiness that goes out there with some, I'll call them clients, investors, potential investors trying to find angles, trying to find loopholes, trying to, basically, they don't care about you. They just want to find a loophole to open up an account right away without a social security number or whatever and monitor money. And as a domestic financial advisor, you're left holding the bag and it could cost you your license. So- I would just tell you kudos to Wells Fargo for making a decision on knowing who you are and knowing who you're not, right? So that's that goes for Wells Fargo and that goes to you as a financial advisor. So anyway, with that said, we appreciate it. Dale, thank you for giving us some color on your conversations this week and a half or whatever with a lot of international advisors. Thanks for joining the show. We appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and, and iTunes. Smash the like button. Or Dale says, turn it gray or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, turn it gray, I guess. It's a newfound, uh, new age term. Leave a comment and uh, make suggestions. Shoot us an email. If you want to talk about what's going on in your space, give us a call. You can call me at 856-316-4651. And of course, always you can call Dale at 856-316-4653 and shoot him an email at dale at eliteconsultingpartners.com. And he can help you out. Thanks very much. And we'll talk to you next time. Ciao. Great talk. talk. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts. Podcasts.